is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and it's time for our Rule of Law series, and we've done several, Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, and now we join Alex Cortez, who brings us our latest in the Rule of Law series. I tell more people today that if a dairy farmer goes to a psychiatrist and lays on that bench and that psychiatrist asks him questions before you're done, he's going to want to commit you. Because there's got to be something wrong with you. To be clear, this Maryland dairy farmer Randy Sowers is, including himself, in that category too. There absolutely has to be something wrong with somebody that deals with what we deal with every day for no more than we get out of it. We bought these farms three years ago I mean, it's just going to be a burden on me and my kids to get these farms paid for. And then if their kids, you know, decide to stay in farming, one of these days they might, you know, get some benefit from them. But right now the farms are costing us more than we can make off of them. There's farmers dropping over. I think the bank sent 10 notices out last week of foreclosures. We've got a neighbor up here they foreclosed on in January. It's like land. You don't make farmers usually. I mean, farmers are born and raised and they know what to do and they have the heart to do it. I mean, most people, you know, wouldn't even consider doing what we do, and it's seven days a week. I mean, you don't get a break. For 38 years that I've been doing this, I've gotten up as early as 11.15 at night to milk. Wait, did he just say get up at night? Who gets up at night? Besides folks, of course, who have night shifts, but that's not Randy's situation. Well, I try to get to bed by 7 or 7.30 pretty hard when it's still light outside, but that's what I have to do. In the early years, I didn't have any help. I was getting at 11.15, but then I'd get done about 7 or 8 in the morning. Then I'd sleep till 10 o'clock and get up and get back to work. But the last 20 years, we've been getting up at midnight, me and my wife, and we milk the first shift of cows, and we usually get back home about 4 o'clock. We don't milk them all anymore, but we do milk the first shift because what I found out was over the years when I depend on somebody else to get in there early, they don't show up and then it makes the whole day go bad. So I just decided I might as well just do it myself. That way you get the day started and the people supposed to, you know, come after me, they better be there. I'm going to go get them out of bed because I know where they are. Since we retired in December, we're going to milk five mornings a week, but the other two we do farmer's markets. It's pretty nice through the winter, though, because we don't have the one Sunday market through the winter, and I got to sleep in on Sunday morning. (laughs) Some idea of retirement. (laughs) And a couple of years ago, his government tried to throw him an early retirement party. So we were had a store on the farm, and we were doing farmer's market, and we were handling a lot of cash. And we just deposited it in the bank. I always wondered whether the government should ever show up someday and want to know where all the cash came from, which it didn't bother me because I knew it was all legal, so I didn't worry about it too much. Paid taxes on it, just like anything else. I mean, we were depositing it in the bank every week. Uh, this summer, we were doing probably five farmer's markets a week, and we were bringing in somewhere around that 10000 mark every week. I mean... Sometimes we went over that, and sometimes we had special events. And this one particular time, we had our festival, so we had a lot of money to deposit that week, and she went in. She being Randy's bride and partner, Karen. Went in and tried to deposit. It was 
twelve or fourteen thousand dollars or something like that, and the bank took it. But the teller told her, you know, it would help her out if you keep these deposits under ten thousand dollars, and she would not fill out paperwork. So that's what my wife did. Not knowing that a federal law called the Bank Secrecy Act requires banks to report all transactions $10,000 and up to the federal government. A law originally intended to make it easier to find folks who were laundering money, running illegal drug and gambling operations, and to charge them with much larger crimes. But it still was unwise for this bank teller to have the Sowers do this because technically, although rarely pursued, what they did was an illegal act on its own. What they call structuring. Structuring your deposits so that they're below the reporting requirement. So it was definitely every Monday she was paying, putting in $9,500 to $9,900 in cash in this account for 32 weeks. So we had a lawyer on staff at that time, and he was there that morning. February 29th, 2012. For some reason, he just left. And a store called me and said there was some government people over there that needed to talk to me. And I went in there was two treasury agents. You know, showing me their badges and they had their guns on and, you know, one talked to me about a bank account. So I tried to call my lawyer right away and he didn't answer the phone. So I, like I said, I still didn't have a problem because I didn't think I had anything to hide. So I went and sat down at the office and they started asking me questions. And I don't know what the questions were anymore except for the last one they asked me. He said, where'd you get all this cash? And they knew about the Sowers' cash because through a controversial legal maneuver called civil asset forfeiture, they had already seized his bank account with $63,000 in it at the time without even convicting him of a crime, which turns upside down a fundamental principle of the rule of law, innocent until proven guilty. Randy was made guilty before anything was proven. Although these IRS agents didn't tell Randy that they had seized his bank account, yet they still needed to trap him. And um, I said, well, you know, we do store and farmer's markets and you know, some weeks we get as much as twelve or $14,000. Well, they didn't ask me any more questions after that because that's the only answer, the question they needed me to answer to say that sometime I had more than 10 and I wasn't depositing it. The government agents tricked Randy and got him to admit to committing a crime that he didn't even know was a crime. Think about this question. Should the government be able to go after you for a crime that you don't know is a crime? And when we come back, more of this remarkable story, Randy Sowers' story, here on Our American Stories.
This is Our American Stories, and we're back with our rule of law story on the federal government seizing the bank account of a dairy farmer, Randy Sowers, and for simply following his bank teller's request to make deposits below a $10,000 threshold that legally requires her to file lengthy paperwork to the government. Let's pick up where we last left off. Think about this question. Should the government be able to go after you for a crime that you don't know is a crime? Well, in 1994, the Supreme Court said that the answer was no. That the word willfully in the Bank Secrecy Act should be interpreted as a person who knew that it was illegal to structure payments below the reporting threshold. It wasn't simply enough to show that the defendant knew about the reporting requirement, which the Sowers didn't really know either. The teller just told them that it would help her avoid the paperwork. But this ruling was unacceptable to government prosecutors, and they convinced Congress to amend the wording of the Bank Secrecy Act so that they could prosecute Americans like Randy who don't know that structuring is illegal. So they had me on structuring because not that I knew there was a law that I said I had to deposit every cent I got every week. Maybe I spent it on something else that week. And it still didn't have more than $10,000, but it really didn't matter to them. And they were pretty nice, I guess nice. But they said, you know, we can see you're a legitimate business. We really don't think you're a laundry, money launderer or drug dealer or nothing like that. But now, since it's gone this far, you're going to have to go through the system to see if you can get your money back. Gone this far as their boss, then Maryland U.S. Attorney Rod Rosenstein, was already committed to the case. And there's no way that they thought that they could get him to back down on it. A judge had already issued a warrant for the seizure of Randy's bank account. Randy's money was this close to being theirs. Once they knew that I was not a drug dealer or a money launderer, they should have just gave me my money back and thanked me for my service to this country, and that would have been the end of it. But they don't, they got your money and they want it. And you know, over this period of time, it's not the IRS that gets a lot of that money. It's the local people that, you know, find this problem. They get their cut, too. Everybody gets their cut. That's how they make their budgets. So if they take all that money away, how are they going to pay their, you know, all these uh, things they get for because of all the structuring money? And the Department of Justice in Maryland is particularly active in pursuing this structuring money. In the fiscal year 2011, Maryland brought 14 of the nation's 99 structuring cases, 14% of them, even though they only make up 1.8% of the nation's population. So supposedly, Maryland citizens are eight times more likely to be committing crimes than the rest of us, or... Something else is going on. Rod Rosenstein is on the record as saying that anti-structuring efforts are, quote, an increasing area of emphasis for the Justice Department, and there has been an influx of resources to investigate it. Thus, I'd be disappointed if there wasn't an uptick in prosecutions. 
So my lawyer called whoever the prosecutor was on the case. Rod Rosenstein actually was the Department of Justice in Maryland at the time. So I'd like to see him go to jail now. I'll go visit him. But he called him. One of Rod's deputies. He said, well, that's the way it goes. I mean, we'll, we'll negotiate and, you know, we'll probably keep half that money. We might be able to negotiate that down some, but, you know, usually, you know, we'll negotiate some kind of a, a deal. Treating it all too casually, like it's negotiating something at a garage sale, not $30,000 of a business's of family's livelihood so somehow and i don't know how it all came down but there was another lawyer that showed up and he'd been you know working on this structuring thing for a long time but they all told me you know to keep my mouth shut and not tell anybody about it well i didn't call the newspapers but when i went to the farmers markets that weekend everybody knew that the government stole my money Everybody walked up the table and they wanted to know how my week goes. I told them the story. <laughs> and they, they, they couldn't believe it. So it wasn't too long after that that uh, I got a call from the Baltimore City Paper and he was questioning me about, you know, this, because he saw the docs come out of the federal court in Baltimore. And I said, you know, I'd love to tell you this story, but my lawyer said, until we get this thing settled, I better just not say nothing. That's what the government wanted everybody to say nothing so they can steal your money and nobody knows what's going on. So uh, he said, well, you know, if that's the way you want to look at it, but I'm going to do this story and it don't look good on your part if I write from what the government says. So his government's allowed to speak about him, but they say that he's not allowed to respond? Because people already thought we'd done something wrong. I mean, everybody, her, her parents thought we'd done something wrong. I think my parents might have <laughs> thought we'd done something wrong. And so I told him the whole story. So <clears throat> when we got our settlement papers, you know, we knew from the case on the Eastern Shore with the uh, Taylor family, we knew what their settlement was, but my settlement was different. I was going to admit that I did something wrong in the settlement, and I wasn't going to do it. So when my lawyer called them, he says, because your client went to the press. And he sent us an email that said it. Rosenstein's deputy, Stefan Casella, actually wrote an email that they were treated differently because, quote, Mr. Taylor did not give an interview to the press, admitting as clear as day that the government is acting according to a rule of vengeance, not according to the American promise of the rule of law. So he said wasn't going to do be any negotiating. You know, they were keeping close to $30,000 and it wasn't any negotiating now since I went to the press. If we would have fought them, if we would have fought them, they would have got, took the whole $360,000 we deposited in that checking account that year. So that was another thing they were holding against us. They said, you can fight us, but you know, you're not going to win, and then we're going to want $360,000. This is what you call blackmail. 
Either pay us 30000 or we're going to come after you for more, 360000 And by the way, fighting us in court will cost you a lot more than 30000 so you might as well just pay us right now. A pretty good business to be in if you're the government. They can do this all day long and do. But not a great business proposition if you're Randy and Karen. Especially when you're trying to do your actual business of farming. It's a no-win situation for them. They lose no matter what. So the Sours decided to forfeit $30,000 of their seized money to the government and try to move on with their lives. Farmers don't have time to go out and fight it. You can't fight them. You surely can't fight the government. But in the meantime, Institute for Justice had been working on some of these cases, and my lawyer got me in contact with them, and they came out and we had a meeting about it. But since my case was already settled, they just really wasn't a whole lot they could do. And when we come back, we're going to hear what happens when liberty lawyers get involved, and that's what the Institute for Justice's lawyers are. They protect people's property rights from the government. And always remember why the Constitution was formed, because we all know that most of our cops and prosecutors are good guys. But the bad ones, and boy, there were some bad ones here, folks. And you know it, right? You know it. When we come back, the law on behalf of the citizens starts to take action. Randy Sauer's story here on Our American Stories. And to hear all that we do, go to ouramericannetwork.org, give us your email address, and we will send you our five best stories of the week. And they'll be in transcript form, so you can read them or you can listen to them. And by the way, if you have your story about government power coming in on your life, if you've settled on an IRS form, if you settled for something when you didn't think you were guilty, Send those stories to us. We'll run them down because this is happening all over the country and it's happening a lot more than you think. Again, this is Our American Stories. When we return, the dairy farmer Randy Sowers shaken down by his own government, a guy just trying to get along every day like the rest of us. Habib and this is Our American Stories and we're back with the final portion of our rule of law story on the federal government seizing over $30,000 of dairy farmer Randy Sauer's money for simply following his own bank teller's request to make deposits below a $10,000 threshold. And now let's get back to the story. Farmers don't have time to go out and fight it. You surely can't fight the government. But in the meantime, Institute for Justice had been working on some of these cases. But since my case was already settled, they just really wasn't a whole lot they could do. But it was probably a year or two later, well, I got a call from the House Ways and Means Committee and said they were 
they were having a hearing on structuring. You want to know if I would testify. And this was only like two or three days before, you know, the it happened. And I think, you know, they were trying to get people to testify, but they're still afraid to testify. Understandably afraid of putting the government's target on their back again. Randy told Congress that he would testify in their big city only 90 minutes away from his home, but one that the Sours didn't like to go to. Oh, and very, we delivered milk down there a couple times. But, yeah, that wasn't fun. Yeah. So what we do, we milk and then we get in the car and we go down to the Institute for Justice uh, Arlington, Virginia. office in Arlington and we'd park and then sleep in the car for a couple hours so we didn't have to deal with the traffic. And then they would take us to the to D.C. for the hearings. Yeah, we ate high hops on the way down, but... It doesn't get any more American than that. Milking in the middle of the night, driving still in the middle of the night to avoid traffic. Then you got to make some time for IHOP. Then just a little bit of sleep in a parking lot while you don't shower before you testify before some congressmen who are in fancy suits and ties while you in a checkered short sleeve shirt no suit, no jacket, no tie. You take on your government. So me and two other guys testified, and that was an eye-opening experience too. And all those, all those congressmen and senators on that committee—I mean, they were beating that guy from the IRS. And, but he, he could, he could take it, and not ever answer a question. Just sit there like there was nothing, you know. Well, it really wasn't me that did this, you know. It was somebody else. But they just kept passing the buck. So um, Institute for Justice filed something to get our money back. They filed a petition for remission or mitigation, which are requests for the government to relieve them from a past judgment. Institute for Justice's petition was clear. No American should have their money taken from them just because they deposited it in so-called wrong amounts that they didn't know were wrong. And over 10 months passed without a single response from the government. So to ramp up pressure, the House Ways and Means Committee, in a bipartisan fashion, both Democrats and Republicans were outraged by this story, called back both Randy and the government to testify again. That second House Ways and Means Committee meeting... And they were demanding that guy from Justice and IRS to give us our money back. Like I said, they were sitting there like it was just water off their back. They didn't care. But behind the scenes, they did care. They were made to care. They were sweating the negative attention this brought them. And finally, we got our money back, and we were probably the first ones that's ever gotten any, their total amount back. I don't know. They said they apologized. They never apologized to us for anything. Five years. That's how long it took to get their money back. The Sours money could have been put to use making their business more money, hiring more workers and paying their workers more. But the government doesn't pay a fine or interest to account for this fact. 
to account for the fact that because of inflation, the Sours $30,000 became less than $30,000 while the government was holding it for them. So, I believe in God. I am where I am today because God tells me what to do and I listen to him. And the reason why, you know, I fight the government and nobody else will is two things in the Bible. Because God says, no hand held against you will prosper. And in the 23rd Psalm, it says, he prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. And that's what he does. It's just, you know, you have to win. Today, you hire lawyers, they're not out there to win. They're out there to get together and compromise and say, okay, if we do it this way, you'll make this much money and I'll make this much money. We don't have to fool around in court and file this paperwork, but we're all going to make money. But then nobody ever wins. And you have to win. This country that we know is not like it used to be. And it's going to be nothing is what it's going to be. It's going to be just like any other country. You're not going to have any rights. You're not going to run a business. And that's why Randy is so grateful that the Nonprofit Institute for Justice is there fighting to win. For him and for the over 200 other citizens whom the government had their backs up against the wall and couldn't afford to fight them until Institute for Justice took up their case at no cost to them and with no reward ever going to the nonprofit. Institute for Justice is a bunch of young lawyers that are concerned about this country. And I've met a good many of them and they all have the same outlook. I mean, they're not out there to make a lot of money. I, don't know, I have no idea how much money they make. I don't care. Most all their money comes in donations from people that like what they see and not people like me because I don't have a lot of money to give them. I mean, people think I have a lot of money. I mean, so now I live in a big house, but you know, the house came with the land we bought. You know, I didn't really want the house, it's too big. That's why I'm living there, just two of us, because nobody else wanted to live in it. But you know, the people, what people think about farmers is, is ridiculous because they think you're rich because you got big machines and it costs a lot of money and that's why you're not rich because you got to have those machines to do what you do. And great work as always, Alex. And what a story. By the way, a major bank CEO confidentially told us that the government has essentially forced them into being their own private snooping army with their compliance departments having to mine their customers' accounts for what the government might deem suspicious activity, giving them no choice but to report many innocent citizens like Randy Sowers to the government for investigation. The CEO said that this forced snooping sweeps up far more information than anything that the NSA did related to phone records, and yet has received almost zero attention. And that's what we're doing here in Our American Stories, bringing this story to your attention. There's also a big problem of selective prosecution here, the government has seized the bank accounts of innocent farmers like Randy Sowers, but refused to charge politicians like former New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, who was actually guilty of structuring his payments to prostitutes. And you bet he knew what structuring was. There's bipartisan legislation out there, folks, and it's sponsored by Democrats like Congressman Sheila Jackson Lee and Republicans like Senator Ted Cruz. And that doesn't happen too often. So that's how bad this prosecutorial abuse is, folks. Of course, that would change the statute 
so that you can't be charged for a crime that you don't know is a crime. It's called mens rea, folks. It's the heart of criminal law. If you don't know a crime's a crime, you can't be charged with it. This is Lee Habib, Randy Sauer's story, and thank goodness for the Institute for Justice. Look them up, folks. Give them some money. They do great, great work protecting property rights for Randy and maybe one day for people like you. Again, this is Our American Stories.